know, you try to get your deacons to listen to you all the time, and you finally get them to listen to you, and it's about not getting you a present. <laughs> Imagine that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I promised Josh. Josh said, don't worry, I'm going to fix that tomorrow. And I said, I'll pick it up by the poles today, and we won't have to worry about it. And then I picked it up by this and broke it. So, but Josh will get it fixed tomorrow. Um, good to be back with you. Uh, I've enjoyed the, the time off, but uh, I'm, I'm more than more excited to be here maybe than I ever had been. So I'm glad to be back this morning. We're going to be starting a four-week sermon series this morning. That's the, best, the, the scripture that we'll be in, but we're going to be all over scripture today. Don't even try to keep up. It's not going to happen. Um, so don't, don't, don't do that. Um, the sermon notes aren't available this morning. That's my fault. I just, I just didn't, didn't get it saved to the website in time. Uh, a couple things as we get into this, or before we get into this, that were just on my mind. You know, I'm, you guys know me. I'm, I like new songs. I'm thankful for new songs. New songs can, can invigorate you in a different way, can hit scripture from a different way, can, can bolster your relationship with the Lord in a different way, and I, I love new songs. But there's something cool about singing really old songs like we did this morning. That first song we sang, if you don't know, that was written by Martin Luther in the 1500s. I mean, think of all the saints through the last over 500 years that have sang that song to use it that God has used that to, to strengthen them and to bolster them. And you know, just listen to those lyrics of that song, Mighty Fortress is Our God. You know what, some of you know what Martin Luther was going through. He was facing trial for his life when he wrote that song and sang that song. And uh, just, I don't know, it just strengthens me. Uh, one announcement before we get into the message today, trunk or treat is tomorrow. You don't have to dress up if you're the kind that just wants to come and and uh, spread a little joy, spread a little love, spread a little Jesus, and hand out some candy, you can. If you just want to be here, you can. If you want to dress up, that's great. I'm dressing up. I think i got a pretty good costume. We'll see uh, how it turns out. But uh, we're looking forward to that tomorrow. That will be over here. If you've never done it before, all you got to do is get over here, back your vehicle into a parking spot, and then you're part of what we're doing. Okay, this parking lot over here. And we'll do that from 530 to 7 tomorrow. Looking towards a good time on that. Um, so... Four-week series. Today we're talking about the perseverance of the saints. The perseverance of the saints. Now, a lot of the times that's not the way we say it in a Baptist church, but I want to say it that way specifically today on purpose, maybe just to aggravate us a little bit. But if Brett was here today, Brett would be excited because that's actually the P from Tulip uh, for Calvinists. So I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you that I'm a Calvinist or anything else like that, uh, but I do believe in this term and in this doctrine, and uh, I said it this way this morning uh, on purpose, but the next four weeks, what we'll be looking at are these four things, just so you'll know to, what to look ahead for. You guys know that I love Thanksgiving season. It's my favorite holiday. I love this time of year. So we're going to look at thankful for the perseverance of the saints today. Next week, thankful for the blessed trinity. Be praying for me, please, as we get ready to preach on that. It's a difficult subject. The forgiveness that is unending, the provision that is bountiful. That's the things we're going to look at being thankful for over the next four weeks, starting with today. And again, today we're going to be with the perseverance of the saints in James 1-2. Perseverance of the saints. Now, if you know Charles Spurgeon, raise your hand if you know who Charles Spurgeon is. Several of you, I figured so. That's a name that most people know that have spent any time in church. He's a lot better pastor than me, a whole lot better preacher than me. Uh, and a whole lot smarter than me. So here's a quote from him about this idea. And he used the term perseverance of the saints. This is coming from Charles Spurgeon directly. If we are helped to set forth the doctrine, the teaching, the doctrine of the final perseverance of the saints, uh, 
so as to commend the truth to your understandings and confirm it upon your souls. We shall be glad at heart because the truth will make you glad and strong. And then you see it there and thankful, which is why we're looking at that today. The perseverance of the saints. The way we normally say it in the Baptist church is the eternal security of the believer. It means the same thing. It means the same thing. I think we've distanced ourselves because of the the way it's tied in with Calvinism now and all that, but the eternal security of the believer, or once saved, always saved. Now, when we say it like that, that's when people outside of the Baptist faith kind of get a little uneasy. They kind of deride us for saying it that way. Uh, and, and we're going to try to wrap this up in a bow, this precious but deep doctrine this morning, and we're going to try to wrap it up in one message to give you and make you glad strong and thankful that this, I believe, is a scriptural truth that we can hang our hat on this morning, the perseverance of the saints. So first things first is this, before we get into the perseverance of the saints, let's just get into being a saint. How about that first, right? Which is a weird word, but it is an accurate word. First things first, Paul says this in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who started the good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So the first thing's first, you've got to be saved. <laughs> to continue to be saved, you've got to be saved in the first place. right? But this scripture right here, and all of scripture teaches, you didn't just up and decide to be saved. You didn't do that. None of us did. God's grace started the process from eternity past. When God set this whole thing in motion, he set salvation in motion with that and began the process of drawing you to him at the moment of creation. This, was, this, this Jesus hanging on the cross and blood being shed for sin was not God's plan B. He only had one plan. It was his plan from the get-go. Knowing that giving man free will to choose him, he had the free will not to choose him, and therefore sin would enter into the world. But somehow through all of that, his miraculous glory and power and who he is in character and full couldn't be expressed without the fullness of his grace being expressed because of all that. And it's a marvelous thing, but you didn't just up and decide to be saved. God pricked your heart. The Holy Spirit convicted and drew you to the Lord. The love of God began a process of wooing you to him in eternal love. You didn't have anything to do with your salvation other than saying yes as God jutted out his hands toward you to give you the precious gift of salvation. That is what we're saying here in Philippians, right? But it's more than that. It's more than that as we continue on. This is... Uh, in Ephesians, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trans trespasses, you are saved by grace, together with Christ Jesus, who also raised us up and seated us in the heavens, so that, pay attention when you hear that, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. So God started the process and God gifted you the gift of salvation. All you did was take the gift, right? That's a great thing. So continue. So you didn't begin your salvation, 
you didn't convert yourself. The miracle of miracles, salvation, the miracle of miracles, the changing of man's heart and spirit from dead and depraved to alive and righteous is a work so divine, so extraordinary that it can only be performed by God. The plan of the good father, it comes to fruition by the work of the son Jesus on the cross and it's sealed forevermore by the Holy Spirit. And that's a great truth this morning. So God began this work in you and gave you this gift that you received. And Paul says here, back in Philippians, Paul says here that he will carry it on to completion. He began it, he will continue it, and he will complete it. God is at work from the beginning and during and at the end of our salvation. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God that that is true. Now, Paul ain't wishing here. He's not wishing well of this. He says, I am sure of this, is what the Holy Spirit convicted Paul to put in this letter to the Philippians. I am sure of this, that he who began the work in you will complete the work in you. So, got to be saved first, and then, and then that doctrine is right there. But we're going we're gonna to dig deep into this. You, you, if you walk out of here today and don't believe in the perseverance of the saints, it is simply because you don't want to. Because you're going to get it from every angle in Scripture this morning, I hope, and pray. So here's our verse for today in James. A man who endures trials is blessed. Because he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. <laughs> love this verse. A man who endures trials is blessed. Blessed. Or blessed, if you really want to be holy. <laughs> blessed. Inner happy joy. Inner happy joy. Blessed. Not blessings like we conjure it up and, and mess it up like it's just physical blessings. Usually that word is, for some reason is tied in with physical blessings. And that can be some of it, but this is not that. This is inner spiritual divine joy. Blessed. Same word used in, in the Beatitudes. The Sermon on the Mount. We spent weeks in the Sermon on the Mount last fall. You can go back and listen to that. But the same word in the Beatitudes. Blesses the one who, blesses the one who, blesses the one who. Same exact Greek word used right here. Blessed is the one who endures trials. What a strange thing to say. Blessed, an inner quality of joy resting in God and unaffected by external events. That's what being blessed is. Now, this is not naivety. This is not someone being naive to the difficulties of the world. This is not someone being ignorant of the difficulties and the hardships in one's life. And those around them. That's not blessed. That's either apathy or ignorance. That's not what this is talking about. Being unaffected by events does not mean being unconcerned by events. It means that your deep inner spiritual joy is not taken away by external events. It may have a cloud put over it from time to time. But those who are in Christ Jesus will always have a hand holding on to them, keeping them from going away completely from that blessed hope, from that blessed truth. So it's, it's not naivety or ignorance. Okay, This is an understanding. It's a trusting that in all things, God works for the good 
for those who are called according to his purpose. God is at work and we rest and we take joy in the fact that God is at work even in the difficulties, even in the things that don't seem like they should be joyous to us. We trust that God is at work. And then there at the end of the verse, because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life. The blessedness comes from facing a test and passing the test. It comes from victory. This blessedness is not a crown like we think of a crown most of the time. It's not a crown of royalty. It's not a crown as as a king. It's not a crown so that you can have dominion over others. It's a crown of victory. It's a wreath, a wreath crown given to the victor of the race. That's why this this term was used back in in the biblical times. If you ran a race and you won the race, you got a crown, a wreath of victory. It's It's a symbol that you did what you were supposed to do. You completed what you were supposed to do. And not only did you do it, but you won at what you were doing. It's a crown of victory, a wreath crown given to the victor of the race. This is to be trained and trialed and tested and found victorious. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like if you were... You know, I used to coach football, and I, I, and I still pay attention to it. It's like when you're running plays on air in practice, right? And you score a touchdown. I mean, there's some, there's some merit in that, and you've got to do some of that kind of stuff to, to practice and to be ready. But nobody goes to a game and celebrates you scoring a touchdown on air. I mean, just think about that. If we played four quarters and it was just the Little Johns over there on that field, nobody else showed up to oppose us. And we just played the whole game on air. How much would there be to celebrate? Would you, would you come out of your seat like you, like you did on Thursday if you were there when we scored a touchdown? Probably not. Maybe the first time. But it'd get pretty old. What makes it special is that there's someone opposing the team. And there's someone opposing our team. And so we are tested. We do go through trials. But when we are found to have passed the test, we are blessed We have an unending eternal joy, and we receive a crown of victory from the Lord of Lords. And then it says there at the end, notice this. Notice this. It's promised to those who love him. A man who endures trials is blessed because he passes the test, and he will receive the crown of life from God for for those that promise to those who love him. That's who it's promised to. That's how this happens. What am I saying? Notice that not everyone is going to be joyous in trials. Not everybody's going to be joyous in trials. Only those who love him. You got to be a saint to get the blessings of a saint. Now, I don't mean a saint is imperfect. That's the way we use the word now. That's not what it means. A saint is a follower of Jesus. A saint is someone who has given their life to Jesus. They've been reborn, regenerated, given the Holy Spirit. They've been forgiven of their sin. It doesn't mean they never sin again. It means God has forgotten their sin because of who he is, not because of who the saint is. So you have to be a saint to get the blessings of the saint, right? So, so for those that don't love God and are not a called of according to his purpose... To those who are not saved, in other words, they don't find joy and receive the victor's crown of eternal abundant life. Why in the world would you find joy in suffering and enduring trial if it was just for this life? If that's the only thing that you had to look forward to to live was for this vapor of a life. And many of us have been shown in recent times how quick 
and fragile this life is. It's fast. If that's the only thing you're enduring the difficulties of life for, it's just not worth it. I'll be honest. It's just not worth it. But for those who love him, they've been given the gift of eternal abundant life. They will find joy in trials. Right? So only to those who love God. I ask you today. I ask you to examine yourself as 2 Corinthians tells us to do. I ask you to examine yourself. Do you love God? Do you love God? How do I know? Well, do you love his people? Now, that doesn't mean do you feel good about him all the time. Half the knuckleheads in here, I can strangle most of the time. Okay? And they can strangle me. I don't mean how do you feel about them. I mean, are you doing good for each other? Are we doing good for each other? Do we love God? Do we trust God? Do we put our hope in God? Do you? If not, maybe today could be that day that you put your hope in that. It's like this when it comes to the love, right? This dude, now, some of you know him personally. I know him personally. I love this man. I love this man. And I had the privilege of hearing him preach on Monday, and, and it just so happened to tie in perfectly with what we're talking about. This, this is coming from the great theologian John McCollum, who's the pastor at FBC Hot Springs. Here's how he said it Monday, talking about 1 Corinthians 13.3 in respect to pastors. Now, he was getting after us a little bit. If I give away my last dollar and the shirt off my back, if I drop a $5 bill in the bucket of every panhandle at the stoplight, and if I work 60 hours a week, rarely take a day off, never take all my vacation, wear myself to the nubs, and sacrifice my body so I can stand before Jesus at judgment and brag to him about what a good pastor I am, but I don't have love, I gain nothing, zilch, zip, nada, nothing. That's the truth of it. Say, we just said do good. Love comes back to the reason why you're doing good. That's what love is. I don't do good for you because you deserve it. Because if that was reciprocated, you'd never love me. Because I don't deserve it. We do good because God deserves it. Because we love him. He deserves our obedience. And that's what he tells us to do. To love each other. Do you love God and his people? Or have you fallen prey to the devil's religious death trap that is playing church. Playing church without the joy of salvation, without the fruit of the Holy Spirit evident in your life. Coming here ain't saving you. Coming here should inspire you to live saved. Don't just come here and play religious games. God's not in, in it for that. So a man who endures trials is blessed. Because he has passed the test. And he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Church, I'm thankful for the perseverance of the saints. I'm so thankful that that's true. I'm thankful for the eternal security of the believer. I'm thankful that, that at this church, we stand on this truth. We stand on this doctrine. We proclaim this doctrine as true. Matter of fact, this is how the Baptist faith and message states it. You want to get right down to it? Now, we could have a discussion about that, but we're not going to. But anyway, that was an inside joke. Baptist Faith and Message says it like this when it comes to this doctrine. All true believers endure to the end. Those whom God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by his spirit will never fall away from the state of grace, but shall persevere to the end. 
Believers may fall into sin through neglect, neglect of the fellowship with the saints, neglect of fellowship in the word with the Lord, neglect in prayer with God, through neglect and temptation, whereby they grieve the Spirit, impair their graces and comforts, and bring reproach on the cause of Christ and temporal judgments on themselves. Yet they shall be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. That's what this church believes, because I believe that's what Scripture clearly teaches. Now, if you want to, you can go Google Baptist Faith and Message, click on that link, go down to where it says this, and there's going to be dozens and dozens of Scriptures to back it up. Now, we're not going to do that this morning because you'd get mad at me, because we'd be here forever. But the truth is, once saved, always saved. That's the truth. Or, or as John MacArthur says it, if you could lose your salvation, you would. It's that simple. I said it to a friend of mine one time that, 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 that believed you could lose your salvation. I believe the man's a Christian. He's a good man. I believe he loves Jesus. I believe he's hampered in his discipleship because he doesn't understand this truth. But I believe he's a, a follower of Jesus. I'm not saying you can't follow Jesus. And, and I'm saying you'll be not as effective if you don't understand this truth. But he's, he, he, we were talking about this one time several years back. And I said, listen, if you, I asked this as a question. I said, are you good enough to save yourself? Just answer me that. We were on this doctrinal truth. Are you good enough to save yourself? He said, of course not. I said, then at what point are you bad enough to unsave yourself? Like, is it five sins? Ten? A hundred? Where do you draw that line? That was his response, too. I don't know. Where, do, where would you draw that line if that were true? I mean, I sin this morning. I sin almost every time I'm behind the wheel. I've really been working hard on that. <laughs> I, I promise I've been working. Presley going to tell I've been doing better. I've been doing better. But it's not, neither here nor there. <laughs> this is the truth. You say, well, I'm not quite convinced yet. All right, then we'll sit right there and I'll oblige you as we continue on. <clears throat> here we go in John 10. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus speaking directly. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish, ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. The Father and I are one. There's your little foreshadowing to next week as we talk about the, the, the Trinity. John 10. Catch that right there in the middle? I give them eternal life, and they will never perish ever. No, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, I ask you a question. If something eternal is given, and then it stops, how can it be eternal? How can Jesus give you eternal life, and it not be eternal? It's either eternal, or it's temporal. He doesn't say, I give them temporal life. He says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never, ever perish. When you place your faith in Jesus, he gives you, at that moment of salvation, eternal salvation. Eternal, abundant life. If it's eternal, it's eternal. Eternal is eternal. Eternal is everlasting, never-ending. How can God say something is never-ending, and then you say you can end it? Are you more powerful than God? 
<laughs> I don't think so. I think very clearly not. But that's sin, isn't it? That's what sin is. A desire to be our own God. And I think that's what that is. You're convinced of something that's untrue. And anything that's untrue is sin. God gives it eternally. You don't have the power to make something that God says is eternal, temporal. None of us do. You say, well, what about that Christian? Some of you have been thinking, and I can see it written on your forehead. What about that dude that says they are a Christian, and then later says they aren't? I say a few things to that. And I'm going to try to behave myself. I say a few things to that. One, that's why we are not to judge salvation of another. I'm not to sit here and say, you are a Christian, you are a Jesus follower, you have salvation. You're not to say that against me. Scripture teaches that. Because we judge the outer, but God judges the heart. God knows. And I think he will confirm his knowing through the Holy Spirit in your life if you're a true follower of Christ. So it's not for me to say and you to say. But here's the thing when it comes to what we say. You can say whatever you want, but I don't make it true. I mean, you can say you're a Christian, and I can say I'm a Martian from Mars. It don't make it true. Talk is cheap. Now, I'm not trying to lessen the power of confession. I believe what the heart believes, the mouth will confess. But I believe just because the mouth confessed it doesn't mean the heart believes it. There's a difference between the two. So talk is cheap. It's, it, it's why when I'm, when I'm talking to someone about salvation these days, I've changed the way I discuss it with them. I ask different questions than I used to ask. I used to cheapen salvation, and I was wrong for that, and I'll be judged for that one day. Whew, that's a holy thing to think about. You say, well, I believe in God. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean, I believe in God? I used to be like, oh, cool, great, we're on the same team. Well, maybe not. Now, I realize. Scripture says even, even Satan's and the demons believe in God and shudder at his presence. Believe in God. Have you recognized by the grace of God that you are a sinner? A sinner? Have you confessed that you are a sinner? Have you confessed your eternal hope and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for the forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life because he shed his innocent blood on the cross and arose again to life everlasting. Do you believe that? Is that what you mean when you say you're a Christian? Because just saying you're a Christian doesn't mean jack. Jack squat. I'm not, I'm not asking. I'm not asking. I'm going to hide behind the podium. If you've ever asked Jesus into your heart. I'm not asking that. Because I don't find that anywhere in there. I don't find where it says... Say a prayer asking Jesus into your heart and you're saved. I don't find that. It doesn't say that. It says, have you repented of your sin and confessed from a believing heart that Jesus is Lord and Savior? Now, I'm not saying that when you say you ask Jesus in your heart that that's, what you, that's not what you mean. I, I think many, many people mean that when they say that. But I don't start there. I don't tell an eight-year-old kid, hey, if you want to go to heaven, just ask Jesus into your heart. What in the world does that mean? You get a little genie living inside of you that gives you what you want. I mean, I don't, I don't understand what that means. And I don't use that terminology anymore. And I, I'm, not, I'm not condemning here. I want us to, to preach and teach truth. 
So what does that person mean when they say that they're a Christian? I'm not asking if you've asked Jesus into your heart. I'm not asking if you believe there is a God. I'm asking you, have you given up reign over your life and given your life to Jesus Christ, the name and the only name by which mankind can be saved? Now, if you believe that, I believe you can't walk away. But I believe many people have cheapenly said that they believe that and then walked away. We see this doctrinal truth of eternal life now and forever again in many places. John 3, 37 through 47, and John 5, 24. I say, but what about people that walk away? What about people that walk away? You're probably picturing somebody right now. Okay, well, here's what Scripture says about it. This is 1 John 2. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be clear that none of them belonged to us. So Here's the thing. Let's frog hairs, right? Let's put some hairs here. Someone who doesn't believe in this doctrine says they chose salvation and they walked away from salvation. I say, and I believe Scripture says, but I say, and I believe Scripture says, that they were never truly saved. I believe that circumstance and trial proved and revealed their true heart. That their true heart was still in rebellion to God. That it had never been regenerated and made new. The old things passed away. All things are made new. I believe that person is revealed through life circumstances that they didn't actually mean what they said. They just said it. If they even said it. That's what I believe. Matthew 7, 21 through 22. One of the most fearful verses in all of scripture. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter my kingdom. It's not just what you say with your mouth. It has to come from a believing heart. There is, hear this church, there is, there always has been, and there will continue to be until Christ's return, false teachers and false followers. That's a scary thing. That's why, that's why everything that is said from right here, you ought to be checking against scripture. To make sure it's not wrong. To make sure it's not false. I will do my very, very earnest best to never do that. But I'm a fallible man. I'm not Jesus. If I'm wrong, let's have a pleasant conversation about it. boy. I, I had no doubt. Right? <laughs> there always has been false teachers and false followers. They're in it for what they can get. And not to follow God's will. They join the church because it looks good for their business. They join the church because it looks good for their politics. They join the church because they want a friend. They join the church because they want a husband or a wife. They join the church for all different types of things. They hang around. But they're not in true fellowship. They're just hanging around. And eventually, this world will prove that they're not real. Because they'll just fall away. Because it's too hard to live for Jesus unless you actually are living for Jesus. Too hard to fake it and live for him. I've found that out to be. But here's the kicker about those two things. Here's the kicker. Both camps believe that the person isn't saved. That the person is still in condemnation for sin. We both believe that that person, whether they had salvation and lost it, which they can't, but, or they never were saved and walked away, that person is still lost as a goose. Still lost as a ball in high weeds, as I heard a preacher say. They're lost. They're in condemnation for their sin. So maybe let's focus on that instead of arguing about the differences in theology. 
Whoop-de-doo. Let's make the main thing the main thing and focus on making heaven crowded as if that were even possible. Okay. Now back to this glorious truth. Enough of that. Back to this glorious truth that God has a hold of us and is not ever going to let go of us. We go to Romans 8. Romans 8. I love this section of scripture. The whole chapter. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are all being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, quoting the Old Testament. Verse 37, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Who's going to separate us? You? Yourself? Some tribulation? Some trial? Some difficulty? Some loss? Some sickness? Some heartache? Some hardship? If anyone that could make you walk away from God's love, if any one of those could make you walk away from God's love, then you just never had it to begin with. You never realized the height and the depth and the width and the length to which God went to display his love on the cross to save a sinner like you and to save a sinner like me. You don't get it. Mm -mm. In all these things, he says, no, 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 no. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm standing here before you this morning, church, as a man that is thankful. Thankful. Full of thanks. That those in Christ Jesus are in him forevermore. Like Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is able to save completely or save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. I'm so thankful for this truth, for this doctrine, for the perseverance of the saints. Now, many of you from the outside looking in. From the outside looking in, many of you, through the trials that I've been through personally in the last year and eight months, and most of you have been going through as well also, many of you from the outside looking in sometimes think everything's fine. But it's been our trials, not just mine. And church, I'm going to be a little transparent before you today because I ask you to do the same thing. We can't be sincere if we're not transparent. So I'm going to be a little transparent before you this morning. There's been many times, many times over the little over the last year and a half or so that I wanted to let go of the rope. Because the trials are hard. And the difficulties are hard. There's been many a times that I thought, man, I just don't want to hold on to this rope anymore. It's too dead gum hard. I, I you know, stood on the edge of the spiritual cliff 
so to speak, and thought, it's just too hard. I don't want to do this anymore. But, but then you realize that you're not holding on to a rope. You look up, and it's actually his hand. He's holding on to you. You were never holding on to the rope in the first place. He's holding on to you. <laughs> Even if you loosen your grip, his doesn't. There are many a times that I wanted to, and, I, and I'll tell you, part of it is the fellowship with the saints. Part of it is your prayers that I know about, and most of which I don't, that makes it possible. Coming here and being inspired and loved and cared for. Part of it is... is Part of it is leadership that knows what's best for you and is not scared to tell you. Like Stuart was a couple of months ago when he came into my office and said, bro, you need some time off. He didn't say it like that, but that's how I heard it. (laughs) He was a lot more gracious in the way he said it, but that's what he was saying. You need to get out of here for a little while. My man, I thought, is that obvious? He's right. Thankful. Thankful for the things that God puts in our lives to keep us persevering in his name. But, I, but I've wanted to let go. And then, and then those things happen. And then the Holy Spirit convicts. And God's holy word speaks for me and to me in my innermost growings, groanings. And Jesus, the Holy Son of God, intercedes on my behalf and reminds me that blessed is the man who endures, who perseveres through trial. Because in passing the test, he will receive the victor's crown. I repeat the truth that nothing will separate me from the love of God. Nothing will separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I tell Satan, the great liar and the accuser, that he and his demons and their empty words and their wicked ways and their destruction and their death can go straight to hell where they belong. He can't have me, no matter how hard he tries. And if he wants a fight, then bring it on. That's where I get to. That's where I've gotten to in those dark times sometimes. I I finally just get mad about it. You want to fight, then bring it on. Because here's the thing. I know who's going to be left standing. When the final bell of 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 the fight rings, when that final bell rings... And that fight's over. I know who's going to be left standing. And it won't be him. And it won't be me alone. It won't be. It will be Christ standing in front of me. Christ standing in front of me. And all the saints from past, present, and future. Christ who is called faithful and true with eyes blazing of fire and a robe dipped in blood, riding on a white horse, and the armies of heaven behind him as the Lord of hosts in all their fine white linen uniforms, and on his robe and on his thigh, it says, King of kings, and it says, Lord of lords. That's who's standing with me in this fight. So bring it on is what I tell him. Bring it on. I know whose I am. He can't Have me, and he can't have you if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Because once you have, he will not let 
you go. So, church, let's not grow weary in doing good. Because in due time, if we don't give up, we shall reap a reward, reap a reward from our Heavenly Father. And we'll reap it forever and ever and ever. Amen. Father, I come to you today and I thank you for your love and your grace. I thank you for the truth of what it is to follow you and to know the truth of your love, God. A truth and a depth and a width and a height that will never, that we will never stop learning about, God. We will never fully be in full marvel of, God. For eternity, we will learn and enjoy and reap the rewards of your love forever, ever, ever more, God. I thank you that you are fighting the fight, God. I pray that we will rest in the truth that you are fighting the fight, God. And in that truth, that we won't somehow think that we can possibly give up in this fight, God. It's too important. It's too real. And you are too powerful for us to ever give up in this fight, God. Let us stay with you. Let us fight with you. God, strengthen us through your spirit to endure to the end as faithful saints of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, Jesus, the Son of God, God Almighty. Amen.